A welcome to all of you who may be with us for the first time. We're so thankful that each of you are here. Uh, we hope this is a place you feel loved and welcomed. Uh, we have a bunch of people online right now. We're glad that y'all are joining us live uh, in this service. Know that everybody here is thankful for the connection that we have to people all over the place uh, that want to spend time with the Lord. And, um, you know, just to speak from my heart for a moment, I really have this sense this morning about our God that he desires to meet you in an intentional, like specific way to your life and heart, meaning, uh, of course, I have a fantastic lesson planned for us today, <laughs> um, but perhaps that's not the deal for you, you know, something that, um, something that I might try to teach, but, but just that God wants to meet with you, that his presence is very real, and, and he, um, he knows you, so he knows what you've been through this week. Um, I took my oldest daughter to college this week, dropped her off in a different city. That was weird, you know? And you know what? Uh, so this is our first Sunday back in church that Mary hasn't been with us in, you know, 18 and a half years. And during the first service, I was sitting uh, right down here where David is, and this little girl came and stood in between me and my wife, her little head right here. I just had this little girl, I just put my hand on her head, uh, her name's Daphne. She's not a stranger uh, kid, but um, I just felt like God was saying, I know what your heart's feeling, man. You know, I love you. Here's a little girl to stand in for just a moment. <laughs> so I wonder what that might mean for you today, to be open to God, knowing you, knowing you, and wanting to come and, and and speak to you in the moment you're in. Because you may have had a week, like we dropped Mary off. It was like, it was great. It was awesome. It was like a really cool moment. She seemed ready for it. And then on Friday, I was home by myself and I just like laid on the floor and cried, you know? And so like, you may have had this great week where something awesome happened or something that really hurt your heart or both. And God is with you. Uh, God is with you in that. We've been studying uh, a book in the New Testament of the Bible. So the Bible has, an, has a first part called the Old Testament. And then the second half called the New Testament is where we hear of the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and the early church. And so in the New Testament, it starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called Gospels. The word gospel just means good news. And so we've been looking at what's called the good news according to John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And so over the course of the year, we've just been walking through that. And today we're in a chapter, John chapter 11, where we've come to this um, come to this place where Jesus has worked an amazing miracle. Uh, the book of John is situated around seven miracles, and the miracle in John chapter 11 is the seventh miracle, so it can feel like almost the culmination of all that Jesus has been doing. And in this miracle, Jesus raises a guy from the dead. His name is Lazarus. I told you a couple weeks ago, like once you hear the Lazarus story, you can just hear the name Lazarus, and you're like, whoa, you can picture it, right? But in my Bible, there are headings, probably yours too. So you have the scriptures. But whoever put the Bible together, the translator, they'll put these headings over different sections. And in this section of the Bible that we looked at last week, it's often called Jesus Raises Lazarus from the Dead. It's a great title, right? This guy uh, who was as dead as dead can be, four days dead, is now walking around. And the last scripture in the section, Jesus Raises Lazarus from the Dead, verse 44, says this. The dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. An amazing picture of a mummified man walking out in front of his sisters and his neighbors and his community. He's walking out and Jesus instructs them to take off the grave clothes and let him go. The next verse starts another section in John chapter 11. In every Bible I have, it it is a turning point. A different story is coming. So the next verse, verse 45, says this. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. One of my old Bible study leaders in college said, every time you come to a therefore, you should say, what's the therefore, therefore? And so the therefore points us back to a man walking out in mummified bandages and being raised from the dead. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit and seen that put their faith in him. I mean, they put their faith in Jesus because they saw Lazarus walking around alive. I think many of us would have done that, right? It was an amazing moment. And when we look in uh, the Bible at these miracles that Jesus worked, we see that there's always a, a moment, there's a, there's a miracle in the moment that's happening, and there's also a spiritual work that God is doing that maybe we can't see yet that's probably even more important than the physical miracle that's taking place. In other words, Lazarus is raised from the dead, but many people put their faith in Jesus because of the miracle. Uh, let me show you just a, just a couple of the miracles uh, that Jesus has worked in, in John. The first miracle in uh, John's book is Jesus turning water into wine at a party. Great miracle. Everybody at the party was thrilled about it. It was amazing that Jesus could take barrels of water and turn it into wine. But look what happened. This is the last verse of that section, and it says, his disciples put their faith in him. So think about how important that moment was that the people who would walk with Jesus for the next three years, because of the miracle of water into wine, they put their faith in Jesus. The second miracle in the book of John is the healing of a royal official's son. He goes to a different city to find Jesus. His son is back sick in the other place. Jesus tells him to go back that his son will be healed. And his son is healed while he's on the way walking back. A great miracle. But look what it says, the last verse of it. It says, so he and his whole household believed. The royal official, his wife, his children believed. I got to tell you guys this. At the last service, we had a family of four two children and mom and dad, they were all baptized at the same moment. The whole household. And yeah, you can celebrate that. (laughs) Um, And this isn't the fullness of the story, but, but a big part of it is the dad's heart was won over by Jesus and his grace and his love. His salvation moment led to him standing this morning with his wife and his two kids and all of them giving their lives to Jesus. So this healing, that was great. The son didn't have a fever anymore, but this other thing happened. I'm not going to do all the miracles, but I just wanted you to see that as we go through it, there's miracles that are happening. There's also, there's a bigger work that God is doing. So the next section after Lazarus is raised from the dead, I was thinking, what is that section going to be called? You know, here we are. Jesus has done this great thing. So I thought maybe it might be called many put their faith in Jesus. That's what the next verse said. It says many put their faith in him. I like that a lot. I started just kind of thinking, what else could we call that section? Maybe it will be called Jesus is recognized as the Messiah. You know, finally, here we are. He raises someone from the dead. If we didn't know what was coming in the rest of the story, we might have thought, this is it. You know, he's worked all these cool miracles and now a dead guy is walking around. I think that should be the moment like this is it. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. Or maybe we could just call this section Jesus is Lord. You know, this, this is it. We made it to this moment. Jesus is Lord. If you were to 
to look in, in your Bible. Some of you still have uh, Bibles that have actual uh, pages in them, and that's good. Some of you have your phones. No, both are great. If you were to look in your Bible, you will not see any of those titles for the heading. All of them will have this heading for the next section after Ra- Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's called The Plot to Kill Jesus. The plot to kill Jesus. And so we're like, huh? The whole story hinges and changes after Lazarus is walking out with his bandages being taken off. And there are people who begin to make a plan to take him out. Oftentimes, well, all the time, God is working an ultimate plan for life. And it is in those moments that humans make plans for destruction. And so we need to understand that and understand the story. So here's what it says next. It says, but some of them, so the the last verse said, many of them put their faith in Jesus, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're the people who who teach and, you know, kind of run what we would call the church. The next verse says, then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. I need you to know that a church meeting can become dangerous when, okay, a church meeting can become dangerous when we take our focus off of the miracles and the presence of God that have been happening in our midst and keep them on the plans that we had before that happened. So we all have plans, church people have plans, and it's dangerous when God does an amazing work and we're like, that's really cool and miraculous. However, it messes with my plan. And so we stay on the plan when the Spirit's doing a bigger work. And so here's, here's their conversation that they have in this church meeting. They say, what are we accomplishing? What are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing miraculous signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. These are the sentences right after Lazarus was raised from the dead. They have a church meeting and they say, man, what are we doing? What are we doing? You you hear what they're saying? They're saying, this guy's turning water into wine. Boys who have fevers are are well. He's walking on water. He's feeding 5,000. And he's raising people from the dead what are we accomplishing? And what they're saying is that we're doing all this stuff like church people do. No doubt they were holding religious worship services. Uh, they were serving the poor. They were teaching educational things. But they're like, how are we going to compare to this man and what he's doing? So rather than see him as the Messiah and think, I want to get in on that, they think he is messing up our plans. And that is a dangerous thing. One of the most stuck places that we can get is in a place where we're holding so tightly to our plan and our control of our lives that we can't even allow the work of God to penetrate. You know, we're like, we like what Jesus is doing and that'll stay in this room or stay in that book. But a changing point in our lives is when we begin to let go of our control of everything and say, I just really want to go wherever he is going. Let me tell you a story. uh, And the reason I want to tell this story is because uh, I would be tempted to just try to kind of keep teaching through this. 
But I want to use an example um, from this week that hopefully keeps our focus on God. So last uh, Monday morning, I woke up and I was going to read my Bible. I woke up, and so I woke up, I couldn't find my Bible, and I realized that I'd left my Bible sitting right there on Jenny's piano. So after the last service on Sunday, you know, I'd set it there and I left. I usually go back and get it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jacob, you didn't read your Bible from after church on Sunday till Monday morning? No. <laughs> I didn't, okay? I sat down on the couch and this uh, cable TV uh, thing was doing the Return of the Jedi. And I was watching Return of the Jedi like all afternoon. You know, they just showed it over and over. My girls came in and like, Dad, haven't you already watched that? And I just glared at them, you know? It's like, so I did not read my Bible. Uh, Monday morning, I got up to do that and it was here. So I thought, I'll just go a little early. I'll, I'll come in here and get the Bible, go sit on one of the picnic tables and have some time with the Lord before I start my work day. And so I came in those back doors, and you need to understand, like, I know this is a holy place and we come in here, but I come in and out of it multiple times a day. I was just walking in to get my Bible off the piano. And when I walked through those back doors, I felt the tangible presence of God. Like right when I walked in the room, I was not expecting it at all. It's like God's spirit was still lingering in here after Sunday, after Sunday night, the students had led worship, and I was like, whoa, I know this, and I know this sounds weird, okay, but, I, but hear me. It was like I was treading water walking down this aisle. I was like, whoa, and I was trying to just get to my Bible because that was my plan, you know, and I didn't make it. I just got on my knees right here, and I put my head on this table. I want to tell you about this table for a second. I don't think I've ever told you all this, but when our church was just starting, we had not had a worship service. We didn't have a church. We didn't have nothing. Uh, a man, a pastor in Lebanon, Tennessee, called me. Uh, he's, he was the pastor of Mary Chafin United Methodist Church, which has been a church, uh, an African-American church that for decades had done amazing ministry in the urban part of Lebanon, and they were closing down. And he asked me to come talk to him. And so I did, and I walked into their sanctuary. And you've got to know this church was an amazing the ministry they did there. I walked in the sanctuary where they'd served the poor and there'd been people baptized and marriages and funerals and I could feel God's presence, you know. They were closing it down. And I walked up to the pastor and he said, you know what? He said, we're the old church in town. Churches close, right? Seasons change. Uh, and he said, um, and he said, and your church is starting. He said, I would like to give you our altar table that sat in here for decade after decade. I was so honored, you know. He and I loaded it up in my station wagon and I went and put it in my garage. We didn't have a building or anything like that. And every time that this church is worshiped, whether it was in a city park or a hotel meeting room or all those schools we went in, some of you guys know, we would bring this table out. Um, it's just a table, right? But when I put my head on it, I felt like, um, I felt the spirit of God. And this is not what I was expecting to do on Monday morning. <laughs> I just began to confess my sins to God out loud. I'm like, I'm hoping none of the other staff were in the back of the room, you know. <laughs> I just, that's what I felt in my heart. I felt in awe of God. Uh, I felt my own humanness. And here, here's the sin that I began to confess to God. Uh, I just said, God, I don't know why I keep trying to be in control of everything. I don't know why I make these plans and I won't adjust them when your presence and your spirit moves in a different way. As the pastor of this church, I just confess that before God. 
And I'm telling you that this morning because we could just teach great lessons, but we cannot forget that we are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And that is a movement of the very real presence of the resurrected one. We're not playing church. We can't afford to in this moment. Time is too short. The age is not calling for that. And so, yeah, we can teach from the book over and over, and we will, but we have to remember that this is a movement of the Spirit. Jesus cannot be restrained by our religious plans. He's a miracle worker. He's a miracle worker. He's doing amazing things, and we get to be a part of it. And so all the miracles in the scriptures, they serve a temporal, real, physical moment, and it's powerful. But what Jesus is trying to show us is my presence is being unleashed. I'm coming to parties. I'm coming to bedrooms of little boys who are sick. I'm going to the grieving places where families have lost loved ones. I'm showing up where people are hungry. You can't hold Jesus' power back. And we can teach great lessons. I'm going to teach you so many great lessons over the next few years. But the thing is the presence of God, Jesus, real. He came to earth. And the chief priest, listen to this verse, And the chief priests and the Pharisees gave orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And what we like to do in this moment, what I wish I could do is just pile on. Oh my goodness, the chief priests and the Pharisees. But you know what? Mark and I were sitting early this morning and we were like, we are the chief priests and the Pharisees. And we are the religious people. So before we pile on, Let's see what's going on, you know. Let's see what's really moving in there. The lesson that we learn from this is there's a freedom that comes when we let Jesus do what Jesus is going to do. And if you feel stuck right now because you're gripping so tightly and you're trying to control everything, I want to invite you to just let Jesus do what Jesus is going to do. And it's as simple as saying a prayer and saying, have your way in my life, God. I want what you want no matter what that is. I want to go wherever you want me to go. When you start praying prayers like that, you get freed up in such a way that everything changes, you know, and you're captivated by Jesus. But we so often choose our plan to control everything rather than trust God's plan. That's just a normal human thing. We choose our plan to control everything rather than trust God's plan. And guys, this is called sin. That's called sin. I know it's a word, you know, like, but it's not just all these things that you may think about it. It's when we say, I'm going to do whatever I want, no matter what God says. You know, that's called sin. And we are all sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it, right? All of us. And so we wonder, so what are we going to do? That's great. We got the miracles, the food, the wine, the the little boy feels good again, all that stuff. But what's the solution? The solution is the cross. The solution is the cross. And so what we see is Jesus didn't come just to be a great miracle worker. That would have been awesome. No, he came to set sinners free. And that's why even when the chief priests and religious people were doing things, nothing was going to change the plan and the purpose of God which was to redeem his people. 
and to save them from their sin. And that happened on the cross where Jesus, the very real son of God, God's presence on earth was nailed to a cross for our sins. He bled and he died and he redeemed all of creation when he was resurrected from the grave. And so sometimes in that, um, when we encounter Jesus going to the cross, we feel the need to confess. And I just wanted to invite you this morning. We've got a few moments set aside that you can confess to God. Some of you know, I've got, you've got some sins you need forgiven. Well, guess what? Jesus' grace is as wide and deep and as expansive more than you could ever imagine. There's nothing you have done. There's no place that you've gone that Jesus won't meet you and forgive you. And this could be the moment where you could say, God, would you forgive me for this thing that I've been holding on to? Would you forgive me for this grudge that I can't let go of? And, or some of us need to confess, God, I've been gripping so hard. I mean, good grief, we're dropping our babies off in different cities, you know? You can understand why. And just in these moments, let go. So we're going to sing, uh, Jenny's going to sing for us an old hymn. And I want to invite you just uh, to confess your sins, okay? And if you want to, we've had some people do that this morning, you don't have to. If you want to, you can come forward and kneel at this table, okay? Or come to the stage. Uh, we're just going to let you do that this morning. That's all, it's just for you and God, okay? No one's going to come. But if you want to do a physical movement to come and pray, just come. Have the courage. Come forward. Well, but let, let all of us take some moments with God uh, to confess our sins.
of Jesus Christ. It's for real. So I want to invite you now to pray with me a prayer of confession that we'll pray uh, together. So if you'll say these words with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now let me say these words to you. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now y'all say it to me. Glory to God. Amen.